everybody, welcome to Stranger Things with Jay, Jack, and Mike. My name is Jay. My name is Mike. And I'm the parents that never go down to the basement. Ever. And welcome to the show. How's it going, gentlemen? Jack, were you the parent that never went down to the basement? Did you trust I, your kids that much? No, I would. We didn't. We never had a basement, but if we did. I'd be. It'd be my. It'd be my area. <laughs> I so would, you would have pioneered the idea of a man cave before it became a man cave. Exactly. I'd have this the sixteen inch TV down there, without the remote, <laughs> with the rabbit ears, going. All right, kids, get out of my room. T- take that eleven kid with you too. I'm get out. <laughs> In all fairness, so if that dad was downstairs, I don't think you would know that Eleven is like not one of uh, uh, Mike's kids or friends. Oh, yeah. No, no. He'd be like, oh, yeah, this is one of ours, right? The dad is totally aloof. <laughs> what did I what do? do? What did I do? What did I do? Oh, I, I guess I was wrong again. <laughs> do we know? Um, this? I don't know if this spoils anything for the rest of the season. I'm assuming the dad doesn't die, but are we going to see the dad in season two at all? Has that been confirmed yet? Uh, I, I may, I'm trying to think of the trailer. If he showed up in the trailer, I don't see why he d- wouldn't be in the trailer. You, you gotta have the dad, but some people think he's dead already. <laughs> yeah, he, he definitely he definitely portrays the uh, "my life is over" married man. Uh, <laughs> dead on his well. feet. Yeah, I go to work. I have three kids, or yeah, three kids, right? Yep. Yep, little baby Holly. Now my wife's kind of attractive, but it doesn't matter. I just don't. I just don't care anymore. I just want my TV. Because it's actually kind of sad. I think it was in one of these two episodes where you know Mike's uh, showing Eleven around the house. It was an episode before, but he's like, "My dad sleeps in this lazy boy." Yeah. So you know, he doesn't even he doesn't get to sleep in his own bed. He sleeps in this old crappy '80s lazy boy, which I guess was like the pinnacle of of couch technology then. But well, it had still. the recliner. You could. You had the little thing you could. Recline it, man. That was, was state of the art. <laughs> but uh, but enough about uh, Mike's father. Uh, we are here to talk about the next two chapters uh, in Stranger Things in season one: uh, Holly Jolly and the Body. Um, and because uh, we're kind of combining names for each episode, uh, this one will be called Holly Body. <laughs> All right, top podcast. Or Holly Jolly, or Holly Jolly Body, Holly Jolly or, Body, or Buddy Holly. Oh. Yeah, uh, I, I like that one. <laughs> That's the only thing. We're some sort of like weird Weezer podcast. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, we could tap into like the Buddy Weezer Holly. Fan, uh, hey. a podcast uh, people <laughs> to the show. It would be great. It's a great cross-promotional opportunity. Is, is, there, is there a Weezer fan base podcast? I don't know. I, the, I assume there's like a podcast for everything nowadays, so I'd assume mm-hmm. there has to be a Weezer fan podcast. It's, a, it's there. essentially the there's like a Rule 34 of podcasts. There's uh, most likely there's let's see. I, I'm looking. Uh, there's one called My Name is Weezer, which I think makes <laughs> sense. Um, yeah, that's that's the big one that I've found, which is My really quick because like, that was in a matter so of seconds some, you were able to find that, Mike. So some free promotion to My Name is Weezer. I have no idea how good of a podcast it is, but one exists. So that we, answer what, has what been solved. Maybe it's like the top ten of podcasts. And we just say we just make that the title of our episode. And we steal all their listeners. What do you think? <laughs> well, no, because then what if we don't know this podcast? Like, what if they're like horrible, hateful people? And then we just promoted them. And then now so, we're going to get the but blowback. We get, 
because we, but we, we but, these but we gain we gain all those horrible listeners. We don't care. Well, <laughs> at the same time, though, they're going to listen to this podcast, get about five minutes of the way through, and realize that not only are, is this people who are not talking about Weezer, but these are people who are conspiring on the podcast to steal them away from the true <laughs> podcast. I don't know if that is a good strategy to keep people I, I, on board, I, I, but I, I don't know. I don't know. I think maybe they probably would give up before they got to that point. Fair enough. There'd be some of one of jo- uh, Jack's old canned bald jokes in there, and then it would just be like, what, what yeah. is this? I don't get it. I don't get it. I'm not bald. Why should I? I'm happy. Um, so. <laughs> uh, speaking of the podcasting business, though, I want to thank the people that make this show possible. Our patrons over at patreon.com slash Jack. Uh, much like NPR is supported by the listeners, our podcasts are supported by you, the listeners. Whatever you contribute, whether it's $1 or more a month, all uh, helps make all of our shows possible. So thank you to our patrons. Um, without any further ado, let's jump into these episodes. Um, so again, uh, if you maybe missed the first episode of this, which is, I don't know why you would, but if, if, if this is the first time you're hearing this, uh, we are not doing the traditional one episode, one recap slash discussion. Uh, we are putting two episodes per podcast since this is a streamable, bingeable show. So we'll be covering two chapters of Stranger Things today. So we'll start off with chapter three, Holly Jolly. Uh, Barb wakes up in an empty and decaying pool. She screams for Nancy and attempts to climb out but is dragged down by something unseen. Joyce strings Christmas lights around her home to talk to Will, who can turn them on and off. Hawkins lab director Dr. Martin Brenner allows Hooper or Hopper uh, to view the lab security camera footage. Hopper realizes it's fake. He and his deputies research Hawkins Lab, Brenner, and a woman named Terry Ives, who claimed her daughter was taken by Brenner. Eleven has a flashback in which Brenner, whom she calls Papa, has put her in solitary confinement for refusing to tele- telekinetically harm a cat. Nancy worries about Barb, who is missing. Steve and his friends discover Jonathan's photographs. They discover them and his camera. Nancy recovers a photo of Barb by the poolside and returns to Steve's house to search for her. Nancy finds Barb's car, and she sees a creature in the woods. Joyce establishes a code with Will using the lights, which he uses to tell her that he is alive but unsafe. He tells Joyce to run as the creature begins to climb through her wall. Will's apparent body is discovered in the water at a quarry. Let's jump into the top moments from this episode. Let's start out with the one that opened it. When you're Barb, no one can hear you scream. Um, again, poor Barb. And if, again, if you're binging this, it's like if you're watching Netflix, it kind of skips the, the, the outro credits. And it kind of goes straight into this after Barb is, uh, you know, presumably. Poor dead. Barb. So, yeah. So. Yes, an Emmy Award winning performance here. <laughs> I got- <laughs> I, I kid, I kid. Look, you got some I know flag that last week, one, Mike, on the Facebook. Group. Yeah, I was gonna say one Jay and Jack podcaster in particular who might or may not uh, be related to you know one of the podcasters <laughs> on this show uh, took a lot of umbrage with the fact that I did not like Barb. I feel like she made some good points. I, I think that you know no, we don't, all don't, don't try don't try to kiss up now. <laughs> I, I do I do understand where she's coming from though, and that I I feel like everyone has sort of played that Barb role at one point in time. Again, for me, it's just this thing where something was built up so much in my head that coming into it now, I'm sort of like, okay, this this is fine. This is good. This is not the alpha and the omega. And so you guys were sort of saying that like maybe this is this is the la- this isn't the last you know we'll see of Barb, and it wasn't. We saw her for another like three minutes here. I will say that this might have been another moment if had I not pushed through in doing this podcast, maybe I would have tuned out then because this was a legitimately scary slash sort of like sexy scene because this is like interspliced with steve and nancy getting it on to i've been waiting 
I've been waiting. <laughs> waiting. Um, for Barb to scream. <laughs> but, but you know, I'm I'm gonna back you up. I know the person said that you know we're all all have as we all have a little barb in us, but is it Emmy worthy? I think so. I just I I think in the way she portrayed the character, I thought she did a really good job. That in, endeared her to so many people. I think it endeared because Nancy is just the worst friend in the world. <laughs> but it's such a the, that opening scene is such a classic kind of horror. Um, scene, you know, like it, it, it juxtaposes, um, you know, uh, you know, teenagers having sex or whatever with somebody getting murdered. I mean, that's like a classic, you know, like Nightmare on Elm Street. That's or that's every Halloween day in, in real or, life. Um, so you know, those type of horror movies. Um, but you so know what really bu- job there. Going to what really bugs me about Nancy, she dragged she she drags Barb to this party. She's the fifth I, wheel. Oh, yeah, Everyone we're, we're putting, we're putting, yeah, we're putting party in loose quotations. This was a gathering of like five people. Steve's gonna say later, like, "Oh, my parents can't know about the party." This was not a party. You had yourself, <laughs> your girlfriend, another couple over, and then you know Barb happened to tag along. As Jack said, it was the fifth wheel. This does not constitute a party, in could my we, personal could, opinion. Could we say it was a party of five? <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> if Matthew Fox shows up at the last second, this is absolutely a party of five. But I, what I'm, but she, but you know, her mom doesn't want her going out because there's a kid missing. Somebody is mess, mysteriously missing from this small town, and she drags her friend to this party, who ends up turning up missing because of her. Worst friend ever. Saying it right now, Nancy. Worst <laughs> friend ever. I think I think that's fair. I think it's a fair. She she she, she is just. Barb can like, win the Emmy, and Nancy will get the worst friend of the year award. She is she is her dad. <laughs> what did I do? Yeah, what did I do? Uh, I used to have a friend named Barb. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, well, man. this talking about this scene, uh, I think it's clear in these two episodes that we're dealing with possible alternate dimensions because that's what it looked like here with Barb to me. Uh, and we'll see this later when Brenner is sort of in that room where they're going to eventually start sending people in. Both of those scenes had uh, like ambient dust falling almost in slow motion. It almost felt like some sort of weird negaverse where Barb was still there at the pool, but for some reason, like it was completely devoid of water and everything looked completely different. So sort of like what we see here from Will, which is to believe that, you know, he's in the house but not in the house maybe we're dealing in this realm of like hey here's an alternate universe in which it's sort of like a copy and paste of our universe with some very drastic differences yeah and i think that's something that's easy to well not not easy to understand but in this modern science fiction world where alternate universes are pretty or more commonplace in this post fringe world um i think it's it's an easy concept to digest um especially in episode three where you do really kind of see where these, or at least Barb and uh, presumably Will, have gone to, um, which is this alternate dimension of sorts. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, Jack, any final thoughts there? I was going to say it reminds me of an episode of The Twilight Zone, one of my favorite ones, where the kid goes through the... Uh, but we'll talk about that later. Okay. Um, so it just, it just, just reminded me of it. You know, you're talking about shows, but The Twilight Zone probably did it first. Just saying. Twilight Zone did it. Um, next moment here is Joyce and the Christmas lights, one of the 
uh, iconic uh, images from this season, uh, which uh, made it into our artwork uh, for this podcast. So, um, Joyce in the Christmas lights and how she communicates through them. Um, I, from a visual standpoint, I, I really like it. It makes her look bat crazy. Um, yeah. But I, from a visuals uh, standpoint, I think it's just really um, eye-catching and, and visually appealing. And um, later on, how she uses it to kind of decode what he's trying to say. Like, I think it's just this very iconic um, uh, imagery. Uh, were they, it's were they silly el- how that were- works. When she holds the crump, the bunch of uh, little Christmas lights, yeah. were, the, were those LED lights? No, I think they were. Those look regular lights. Okay, they seem kind of bright and sharp to be. Honestly, I feel like the, the original lights, lights were are brighter than LED lights. I always feel LED lights are a little bit less bright. But than they're the old but they're, but they're they're more of a the colors better in LED lights. I could be wrong. I could be wrong on this, but you know. I think you're wrong. I will say I. <laughs> <laughs> I am always impressed when shows are like period shows where they're set in you know a different time and how they have all of these boxes of uh, old C9 Christmas lights. Um, like I, I wonder who did that research and then also to recreate the boxes and everything. Like you would be able to buy in a general store in the 1980s. I thought it was kind of. How cool. do you think? You think it's the internet and podcasting that's putting pressure on these people that they have to make sure it's authentic? Well, because yes. you have people because there's sense. people like I, I. I'll be honest with you. When I, I look at a show that's based in you know like the '80s, I'm always looking for mistakes. Always. I mean, I think this is easier to do than something like Mad Men, which uh, I at the Museum of the Moving Image here in New York. At one point in time, they had sort of like a Mad Men exhibit where they dedicated an entire you know, floor to all of the wardrobes and props and set decorations. And I feel like that's harder because, you know, I feel like the Duffer brothers, in addition to probably a lot of people who worked on this show, sort of have these nostalgic memories of growing up in the 80s. So I feel like they might know firsthand, oh, yeah, that's the box that, you know, you usually get Christmas lights in. It's a little harder as you go further back. I don't know how many people that grew up in the 60s were able to really work on Mad Men to really, you know, uh, challenge the verisimilitude of the design choices. It's true. But I will say there's a couple errors in uh, in terms of uh, timepieces, and it's related to toys. I know toys. So that's how I know. The Millennium Falcon that they use for – they want her to tell, you know float around with is not the 70s through 80s version of the Millennium Falcon – it is the oh. early 2000s version. It's the same mold as the one that they made in the 70s, but different color, and the, the, the one in the early 2000s had more electronics added to it. So that is inaccurate. Another inaccurate thing is there is a Pez dispenser on the table in the basement, and it is a jack-in-a-box, the restaurant, the fast food restaurant, Pez dispenser that was really? given away exclusively at jack-in-a-boxes, in the late 90s. So a couple. Ooh. And, 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 and wait, where's it supposed to be based in the show? In Hawkins, yeah. Indiana. I don't think they had Jack in the Box. I, 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 I don't, there. I don't yeah. know. You know, I think they do have they do have Jack in the Box in Indiana. But the thing is, they wouldn't have the, the that was when Jack came back. Uh, what was that? Mid to late 90s. So after after they blew them all up. Yep. So there you go. There's okay. a couple a couple inaccuracies. Let's go back to Joyce and the Christmas lights. Good, well, no, good call. I mean, the the, the whole the, the whole Millennium Falcon thing that just makes you a geek. But finding that <laughs> finding that Pez dispenser that is 
that's that's good work. That's good work, Jay. Yeah, fifty-five inch four K TV. You find those little details. <laughs> I, I I watched it on my computer, so I didn't see it. So did you uh, get that four K TV with Verizon FiOS? As you know, Dustin told you in the commercial that I see just about every other hour on television. No, no, we don't even have cable, so. Uh, good luck. Does you don't need to see Dustin then talk to Mr. Peterson and Mrs. Peterson about the benefits of a 4K television? You already, I mean, you're you're reaping the benefits, but actually, it's actually me li- listen to the latest Ramblecast and you'll hear all about a 4K television. That's true. It's it's been 4K TV week here on the Jane Jack Network. <laughs> um, I want to go back to the Christmas lights yes. for a second because you know what? This just is an indicator. How early on in the in the year does this show take place? People are putting up their Christmas decorations way too early in the year. It's it's it, people might have other reasons for doing it, but you know what? This is just part of the ongoing war on Christmas that's happening even that early on. I know. Well, it is it's kind terrible. of the Christmas season. They're talking about Christmas coming, so it's 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 December, right? Was it December? I mean, she cleared out the general store of <laughs> uh, all the Christmas lights. I mean, <laughs> that's the thing, too. Uh, for someone who was really scraping to get, what, her 2236 for that phone that got fried, uh, she, she, I think when she got that inkling of hope that her son somehow might be in the wires, she decided to just sort of go whole haul there. Um, yes, yes. Uh, well, at least, this, at least this time, what's the guy's name? I don't know, Jerkface. He, at least this time, he just didn't argue with her. He just went ahead and gave her the uh, gave her the uh, ex, you know advance on her salary. It's true. It's very true. Um, all right, next big moment here. Hopper knows that Hawkins' lab is lying. Um, you know, uh, something like starting out with Hopper he seems kind of like the the sheriff doesn't care, but uh, very quickly and and you know um, we're only a third episode in. He's very much uh, pulling back the layers and seems to be one of the main protagonist uh that's going to try and figure out what's going on in this town well i think what helps i mean it helps but he you know he, his daughter you know we find out his daughter dies and i think it's because it's a missing child mm. i think it also sort of uh you know i think it's sort of like in the kingdom of the blind the one-eyed man is king because we haven't talked too much about hopper's two sidekicks but they are <laughs> worthless in terms of actual police merit <laughs> That's fair. That's very fair. But I think Party I, five, one and two. But I think yeah, it is almost like he has to have the counterpoint to him, uh, to Hopper believing all the conspiracy theories and digging in. He has to probably have the counterpoint of, yeah, you know, it's a small town. Nothing happens in this town, boss. It's not a big deal. I don't know. But, but if you're used to going in into into work and for years nothing happens, exactly. How would you're you a small town how, sheriff? How, how would you be prepared for something that actually happens? Yeah, but uh, thank goodness for Hopper. He's 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 paying attention. He's he was a city cop, so he's not gonna that fall. Under he, he knows small town. He know, he knows the ropes. I know. Yeah, that was, like a, that was a good catch on his. There. Yeah, very good catch on his part uh, to realize that the Hawkins lab showed them obviously fake security footage because, as we remember, the night that you know they they found Eleven, it was downpouring rain and there's no rain to be seen on that tape so it just shows that i think hawkins uh, might take their small town status a little too much for granted think that you know they're dealing with small time cops yep exactly um next moment here 11 can kill with her mind papa more 11 flashbacks um thoughts here guys cool stuff i love how we're getting piecemeal just more and more of her backstory 
Yeah, I mean, it's it disturbed me, but I feel like that's the point too, right? Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, that was, uh, it's almost akin to you know when the Nazis used to sort of raise their recruits. I think they had to have them like take care of a puppy for a set number of weeks and then kill the puppy to say like you need to get rid of building any sort of relationships with anybody you know these are not people these are animals and so i I don't want to say it's the same type of thing here but i feel like there's a line that you cross when you like try to test things on animals or kill animals and i think that brenner is obviously uh crossing that line yeah he he doesn't care well not only did not care about the cat but then when uh she's going to be put away you know he kill she kills the two kind of bodyguards are going to put her back in the isolation room or whatever and Martin just like kind of walks over the dead bodies, just like, You're yeah. I was I was gonna say the same thing. He just went walked by and said, eh, let me see. So I guess I guess everybody's expendable in Martin Brenner's mind. It's yeah. The cause that he's after. Um, any other thoughts there in the flashbacks? No, right. I mean, I, I'll I, say again, great acting. Yeah, and I'm happy that we're starting to see, you know, I, I feel like, again, the first two episodes kind of showed it as sort of like this vague shadow government organization. It turns out that it's less government, and now it's more so just like sort of a weird science faction. But I'm happy that we're at least finding out a little bit more about what they are, so it's not as generic. It's a little more specific as to maybe what they're seeking to do. Yeah, and again, I think um, since there's only eight, eight episodes, the story moves along. Like, there's no point... Uh, yeah, there's like that joke about Lost. Like if this, if this was like a Lost episode, we wouldn't find out answers to like what we saw in this episode for like two more years. Um, well, it, to it gets be fair, to, it pretty darn to be fair, I, I have to defend Lost. If Lost was on Netflix, present day, we would have found out. Oh, I know. I don't. I don't know. I, I feel like the shortened episode is is a is a good indicator as well. Particularly these two episodes. You know, when you have episode three be oh no, Bill, well, Will's body washed up, and then by the end of episode four, it's oh that's not Will's body. I feel like usually on a network show that they would put like two or three episodes in between to come yeah. to oh, that yeah. realization. It, I was, sorry, I was, I, I was yeah, so I'm surprised I, that like the very next episode they said, oh yeah, that thing that got revealed at the end of the episode. No, that's not true. We, we know that's not true. I'm saying if Lost was on Netflix, if it was aired on Netflix instead, because it, it, you see it, you do see a difference when it's like on AMC, except, except The Walking Dead. Or uh, you know, just drag on. That's the whole point of the show. Just drag I on. don't. I don't want to say that, but yes, it does. <laughs> but uh, but no, I'm saying like Netflix. You do get the answers pretty much right away. Hulu's pretty good about it. Their shows. So all right. Anyway, um, next up here, Steve is a jerk and Jonathan is a creep. So uh, Steve breaks uh, Jonathan's camera because he took pictures of. Um, Barb. I'm not Barb. Yeah, well, Barb. Nancy. Well, Barb. Everyone. Nancy. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone. But Nancy kind of uh, disrobing uh, in Steve's room. Um, you know, I, I, it's yeah, Steve's being a jerk, but he, he kind of has a little bit of a reason to be. I mean, this dude's taking yeah. pictures of his girlfriend and dressing. Absolutely. I, I mean, I could definitely understand that. Like, I don't think the character is necessarily sympathetic at this moment. I think he's supposed to be sort of like that stereotypical, like not a jock, but still kind of a cool guy. But yeah, I think he has probable cause here. I mean, it, it would be, it would have been one thing if he was just sort of like in the bushes taking pictures and they said, okay, let's pick on the weird kid. It's another thing if you look through the photos and you see, oh, this guy took a picture of my girlfriend undressing. I feel like if you have enough of a temper to you, I feel like that's reason enough to break the thing. Yeah. But also, you gotta. I, I see everybody's point, but the guy is messing. His brother is messing. I know. But then you got. Then you go. Well, if his brother's messing, why are you taking pictures of my girlfriend? 
mm-hmm. on dressing. Yeah. So I get both. I get both sides to it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, I, I do feel for Jonathan here as well. I don't want to sort of sound unsympathetic to him because, <laughs> as you said, I mean, I think he's sort of in dire straits right now. And I think his camera especially is a way to sort of escape or in a weird artsy-fartsy way of speaking. It's like his way of viewing the world and how yeah. he expresses the way he views the world. And then to have that shattered and assumingly, unless uh, Joyce decides to, you know, get her several months salary taken away. I don't know if he's going to get another <laughs> She's one. She's already accrued enough so, debt. Just go get another that's true. But, yeah, yeah. But, but, you, know, but he, he can science see his, his 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 dad's a jerk. His mom's talking to light bulbs. His brother's missing. I mean, the the kid's going through a lot. But Steve doesn't know all. But to be fair to Steve, the jerk, he doesn't know all this. <laughs> do we um, do we blame do we blame the girl that walked in and said, "Hey, how you doing?" Oh, I'm going to go tell on you. Well, no, because I mean, if if okay. I was in there, like, what the heck is? Why does he have pictures of? Uh, oh my god, I'm gonna let Steve. Know. Yeah, that's well, definitely. Well, I mean, here in here in New York, we're raised to say, if you see something, say true. something. I think that's that's but, absolutely but what you. How, how did she know that was was Nancy? It's pretty clear. Well, I, she she knows it's Nancy because she's in gym class with her or something. How did she well, know it's well, Nancy? Well, plus, like, if the, if she knows, I mean, it seems like she she's friends house, enough with Steve yeah. that she yeah that she knows what his house looks like. So if she sees. Hey, here are a bunch of shots of Steve's house. Oh, here's a long-haired brunette girl in her bra that I'm going to assume <laughs> is Nancy. Either way, things are a little suspect that I think you it's okay to rat him out. So this girl's been to the party of five, is what you're saying. She's not. I feel like she's like number five or six in the pecking order because she wasn't at that initial party. But yeah, it seems like it. This well, is that, her move the, to get the, into the inner inner circle. This was her move. Now, now that Barb's out of the way, she can move in. <laughs> yeah, I, li- I like this idea that she's sort of like social climbing. She's like, oh, okay, getting good with these guys. Need to be good with the two couples. Let me wrap this guy out. Oh, man. Uh, Nancy all of a sudden cares about Barb. Um, uh, you know, Barb hasn't shown up and... Uh, she's... What about but what about the girl that was she asked in, in school in front of her? Hey, have you seen Barb? <sighs> like who's Barb? Again, that girl in Barb. front could care less. The girl that she asked, oh, I know, I know. She sits it's down in class. That girl could care less who Barb is. It's horrible. The, Terrible. The weird, the weird thing to me is when Nancy called Barb's mother, and Barb's mother said like, "Oh, she hasn't been home." I, I guess I can understand why Nancy didn't want to say anything because uh, especially put your you know brain in the mind of a teenager who would say, oh, if I tell an adult, then I'm going to get in trouble. But still, I don't know. It's pretty bad for her to not say in that moment, hey, just so you know, I can't find your daughter, so you should probably be a little worried. There's another kid missing, too. But, you know, it's probably just a coincidence. Uh, that's right. Uh, she's in the library. I'm meeting her now. Yeah, it's that's tough. That's yeah, tough. Mm-hmm. yeah. And yeah. the mom. Oh, yes. I'm so that. Yeah, I'm so absent-minded. I called your mom and for completely forgot that you were in another part of the school, <laughs> and I thought that you were missing. I'm just gonna say we could say right now the parents in the '80s were just they just didn't care about kids. They just didn't care. How did I the mom not, how, how did the mom <laughs> not know that Nancy was lying? Because I mean, in all fairness, like kids are probably more expendable back then. You had more of them, so <laughs> you cared yeah. less. Is that what you're saying? I think this so. This is in China. <laughs> uh, poor Barb. Uh, see, this is the this is how you you feel for Barb. You just, it's a poor Barb. Yeah, because her friend was a jerk. She gets an Emmy. <laughs> um, yeah, so she goes uh, see the, her her Volkswagen Rabbit still there. And um, like, that's a Barb car right there, like a light blue Volkswagen Rabbit. 
Um, and when she's out there at uh, Steve's house, uh, the Demogorgon kind of shows up and scares her. I, 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 I'm going to disagree with you because growing up in the 80s, the cool kids, especially the girls, drove the Volkswagen <laughs> Rabbits. Okay, fair enough. I'm just, I'm, I'm I just didn't, tell- I didn't know. I was... The, the uh, people, the, the people in the, in the 80s. the people in the inner circle. That's what they drove. <laughs> you know, it's based off the Volkswagen Golf, and I'm a big Volkswagen Golf fan, so I'm not, I'm not knocking the Volkswagen Rabbit. I'm just well, you there. should have known this as a historian of Volkswagens. Volkswagen. Um, all right. Uh, next up, Will tells Mom to run through the Christmas light decoder. Um, so again, uh, the Christmas light is very iconic. She, you know, nails it up on the wall. She puts a letter to each light, which it was a pretty smart idea by Joyce. Um, and she's finally able to communicate um, and says to run because the, the monster is there and the lights all flash. Um, it's a really um, intense scene. Mm-hmm. And currently, uh, the D and D crew uh, is uh, following Eleven, um, who's going to try and show them uh, Will. Um, and they see these cop cars go by, and they discover that it's Will's body? Question mark. And uh, Really, uh, first time kind of using modern song, doing the slow-mo, very emotional. I think it's a Peter Gabriel's cover of David Bowie's Heroes. Um, But it's an emotional scene. Like, it's gotten me the three times I've seen it. Um, It's given me goosebumps and, you know, a little bit of of misty um, in the eyes. But uh, what do you guys think here? So I want to go back to the Christmas lights because I feel like I do agree that I think the last scene is very emotionally impactful, and we can definitely unpack that. But yeah, the uh, the, the Christmas lights, I mean, this is definitely something that clicked in my head, because I, I remember for a while, wasn't there something where like you could go onto a website and like type out a message, and they would spell it out using the Christmas lights? I, I feel like that's... Now I'm starting to sort of connect where that came from, but uh, I liked I liked it. I liked this sort of like Christmas light Ouija board thing that Joyce was doing. It also <laughs> reminds me of like... Uh, I saw this most most prominent uh, prominently on Breaking Bad, but like when uh, I think you people are in hospice and they don't necessarily have the capability to speak, they have that board with letters on it, mm-hmm. and you're supposed to you know point to the letter that the person's wanting to spell out. So that, that I had all those sort of things uh, colluding uh, into one big scene. But yeah, this was a uh, this was an intense scene. Yeah, I I agree. Too. Um, scary, scary. Yeah, scary. Well, I thought I thought it was more sad than scary. No, but it's sad. But, but then when he when it, it's but the way it just kind of pivot to okay, they're communicating. Oh, good, she's communicating, and it just goes to R U N. It's like, get out of there. You know. Yeah, especially yeah. when you have like it. Is it this episode or next that it tears? I think it's this episode where the creature actually... It's been trying to burst through the walls. This time it finally tears through the wall. And it's the creature... I guess... Is this the Demogorgon? I don't know if, if you want to spoil yes. this for me. The one that like looks like a weird like white Pan's Labyrinth-esque creature? Uh, yeah. So it's... I mean, that's probably... Yeah, I guess it is the first time you really see it. Um, yeah, I, we saw it a little bit when Barb got attacked. But yes. I wasn't sure if it was the same thing or if it's like multiple types of the same creature. Uh, I will neither confirm nor deny, but that's the type of creature they're facing. Is that is that good? Uh, that's what I'm yeah. gonna say. That's how I'm, that's how I'm gonna leave it. I guess I, we probably should say at the beginning too. This is a spoiler-free podcast in the sense that we're not we're focusing on the episodes that we're talking about, not going beyond that. Which and now in the middle of the show at 30 minutes in, because Mike is Mike has only watched up till episode four, right? Mm-hmm. Yep, I've only okay. seen four episodes so far. I have no idea what's in front of me. So yeah, I. 
And it's interesting as well in this idea, I feel like, of horror movies. Of With some movies, I mean, Jaws, what minute in the movie did they show the shark? Uh, you know, Cloverfield for a while didn't show the monster. So I feel like there is an element of horror, whereas, which is like, don't show the creature. And so I do kind of wonder if a little bit of the impact is lost in showing the monster so early on. But I'm assuming if we're going to see it so many other times that I guess it had to be shown sooner rather than later. Well, it, it seems to be, you know, in steps where you just kind of get a little bit to kind of in the dark, can't really see. And now you're really seeing it for the first time uh, somewhat well, in I, detail. I, I, so I think, well, I I think, think more, have... more and more layers are, are still there to be able to pull back, I think. Well, I think they have to kind of show it because they see it in... Uh, Nancy finds it in uh, Jonathan's picture of the, you know, they see the creature yeah. killing Barb or taking Barb or attacking Barb or just before they attack Barb. Barb, Barb, Barb. Anyway. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then the closing scene just, uh, it's almost kind of the, um, you know, Mike's upset because he thinks Eleven lied to him. Um, it's just, it's just sort of, it's a very emotional Friends scene. Friends don't lie. Um, and then, you know, uh, uh, Joyce is running out of the house because this monster broke through the wall and, he, um, uh, Jonathan comes back and they embrace it while the, the, uh, ambulances oh, this- and fire trucks drive by. Like, it's just a very moving closing scene to this Oh, we episode. didn't even talk. We didn't even, this is, this is the episode where he goes to see his dad, right? Uh, no, that was, the, that was episode next, two. Yeah. Next one. Okay. All right, no, okay. no, 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 that was the previous episode that they went to go see Lonnie. Was it? It was yeah. one of these ones. Either two. Okay. It, was, it, was, it was still, should I stay or should I go? There's a little bit of a oh, flashback. Yeah. And he, right. he drives Got to it. meet him. We meet Got the weird it. girlfriend, and that's it. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just a, a fantastic. I mean, again, only three episodes into it, and it's, it's moving me at a, at a level that would take 10 episodes on another show, so. That's just that's my final thoughts there before we move into chapter four. Yeah. There, and, and you talked about the song. The song's pretty impactful because, again, uh, you know, this song is obviously about heroes. And here are these kids who are thinking the entire time, oh, yeah, we can save Will. We're going to be the big heroes. And then they get a momentary stumbling block when they think that, oh, he's dead. Uh, and then you get this really nice pairing shot of, you know, Will or a Mike like hugging his mother and Jonathan hugging Joyce. Uh, They're obviously in very different circumstances, but I I think, you know, despite how much shade we might throw towards the fathers of the, of the stranger things (laughs) universe, I feel like familial relations seems to be a recurring theme throughout the show. So I thought this is a good example of that. Well, the dad did, did the dad did ask when they were hugging, Hey, are there more tater tots? (laughs) (laughs) He did ask that. So, what did I do? I just wanted some tater tots. <laughs> you know, they're getting cold. Someone's got to eat them. Oh, man. All right. Well, let's. But it, it's. It, it, so, you know, Connie's like, oh, this is a show for the mothers. I'm like, I'm like, as a father, I'm feeling a little left out. But, you know, whatever. It's fine. Not a big deal. <laughs> ah, well, you know, we uh, can take it. All the fathers are crappy. Will's father's crappy. Mike's father's not crappy. He's just kind of like there. Um,. <laughs> But anyway, moving on. Uh, <laughs> chapter four, The Body. Um, Eleven proves to the boys that Will is alive by making contact through Mike's walkie-talkie. Joyce goes to the morgue to view the body and refuses to believe it's Will's. The boys give Eleven a makeover so they can sneak her into school. Joyce hears Will in her living room raw. Tearing away the wallpaper, she sees him behind a membrane. At school, Eleven uses Mr. Clark's ham radio to channel Will talking to his mother. 
Joyce dis- demolishes the wall with an axe but reveals it's only her front porch. Nancy discovers a figure behind Barb in Jonathan's photo. Jonathan realizes that the figure matches her his mother's description of the creature. A humanoid figure with long arms and no face. Nancy tells the police about her missing friend and subsequently admits to her mother that she slept with Steve. When she tells Steve about to, uh, about the police, she, uh, she is irritated that he cares only about not getting in trouble with his father. Hopper confronts the state trooper who found Will's body and beats him until he admits he was ordered to lie. Hopper goes to the morgue and finds that Will's body is a dummy. He breaks into Hawkins' laboratory. So top moments, Eleven can connect with Will. So uh, Mike's upset. He thinks Eleven's betrayed him. And boom, Eleven, not only can she murder people with their minds, she can also connect to alternate dimensions. Yeah. Yeah, which I, again, I'll I'll say that I feel like again another sh- type of show might have put like two episodes in between where there's this big misunderstanding and Mike's still mad at Eleven because he feels like she led him astray. But I'm glad they resolved this in the next you know in the first five minutes uh, just because I don't want to see these kids in too much strife at least with each other. I want to see them fighting against a common enemy. Yep, agree. agree. Uh, and and. I mean, uh, to beat that drum of this uh, podcast or this chapter of the podcast, I think um, the pacing of this show really sets it to me. Like I, I, I felt the first time I watched it, it was just like a like a really long in parts movie, you know, because um, it it has that pacing where it can't spin like ten episodes with them being ticked off at each other. It's like no, boom, <laughs> moving along. And who and, and, and who needs and like I think Mike said, who needs that? Yeah. You, when you know they're eventually going to come in, you know, two or three episodes, okay, we're friends again. Or maybe like, we don't – that's them, the 80s – that's a 70s, 80s plot line. We don't need that. In, or again, in, you even, know. Uh, you know, I don't want to hate on Lost. I love Lost. But Lost would have been 10 episodes or other type of – Well, to be series. fair again, I, I'll be the defender. They, they had to. Um, Joyce doesn't believe uh, the body is Will's uh, – and it's kind of it's kind of funny, sad, and when she's just kind of like flipping out, like that's not Will. Um, I don't know what that is in there, but it's not Will. Um, mother knows. The mother knows these things. Uh, Jonathan yep. and, and his mother have a big fight in front of the town, um, which I'm sure is great in a small town like that. But uh, but in terms of for where you were at, Mike, did you did you believe Joyce here when she was saying it it wasn't uh, Will? Yeah, I mean, I know I said last podcast that I personally thought that Will was dead, that there, there's really not much of, like, a supernatural connection. Obviously, I was proven wrong here, but, yeah, I personally thought so, especially considering the tampering that Hawkins already seemed to be doing in sort of the murky territories they were already kind of swimming in. I would say it would be in the realm of possibility of what ends up actually, you know, surfacing, which is them really faking, you know, a body being found that they think, oh, the cops are on to us. Now's the time that we we drop the body. You know, I feel like it was a little too convenient that they found the body at this point where this investigation was kind of building against them. Yeah. Anyone find it odd that when when Jonathan and, and Joyce were arguing that nobody in this small town who they probably know each other didn't walk up to Joyce knowing what she's going through and try to comfort her. But they kind of seem to be the town outcasts anyway. So I know by by today's standards, people would just get out their phones and film it (laughs) and put it on YouTube. But it just seems like in a small town, because I, you know, my, my grandmother lived in a small town and everybody knew everybody. I know we went back there. Isn't that a lyric for a John Mellencamp song? Exactly. My grandmother lived in a small town. People knew us. 
by name because of my grandmother would show us a picture. I didn't even hadn't been there for three years. They would know us because it's a small, small town. So I think in a small town, again, somebody would uh, have some compassion. I know they're just the extras. Jack, your, someone, your family must have been the you know the astute, uh, you know, well known, you know, good citizens of the, the town. It seemed like Joyce and Jonathan may be the, the more outsiders to the small town. Yeah, that's what I think. Amplified. I mean, they, they they quite literally like seem to live on the outskirts of town okay. in, in an area that's like not really populated. I think maybe maybe they they might be pariahs, maybe because Sheesh. of their economic standing or because of I don't know other things that maybe maybe the situation with her and Lonnie made her kind of like a pariah in that regard. She works at the general store. Exactly, she's like a part-time you know cashier. I, I, are these people heartless? I, no, I like get in a that, small, I, but in I, a small I, town, I get, Jack, I, in a small I get any, town. I, wait, let me I get any dads. Here. I get any dads walking by wouldn't care, but but what what are the moms had to care? No, I mean I I think in a small town the people that are outcasts are even more so outcasts than maybe in a, in a big city because it's it's probably so cliquish. Um, all right, that, mm-hmm. that, that, it's, all it's, right. it's no it's no different than that high school that yeah. Nancy's trying to navigate, but. Yeah, and I also feel as well, I, I, to almost counter your point, Jack, where some people might say, oh, uh, we need to help her, He's, she's grieving. I think some people might say, we need to leave her alone, she's grieving. That, like, she's she's trying to get her, vent her feelings out there. This is a healthy part of the recovery process. We need to just sort of let her do her thing. Actually, isn't that well, like they, a... Well, it, they, well, well they, don't, they don't know she's... They, they can't possibly know that uh, that Will is dead yet. Oh, uh, I don't know if you, this eh. this lies counter to your small town point, right? Wouldn't the hubbub be? Oh, they found the young Will Byers body in the quarry. But it, it, if that's the case, you think somebody, somebody, Aunt B or somebody would walk up and said, "Hey." Uh, but, but again, Jack, like you know, I, I don't know if this is a Midwest thing or I I know that at least you know we're from in York, York Pennsylvania. Like it's people don't I, like. I was actually, talking about. I was, I was talking about more like East Berlin, Pennsylvania. Um, but they people maybe aren't don't share their feelings, aren't touchy feely, hug, you know, let's hug it out and talk about our yes, feelings. Not, not really, n- not really full house type of mentality yeah. in Hawkins, Indiana. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. I don't know. I could be All wrong, right. but that could be it. Um, <laughs> we could agree to dis- disagree, but maybe I agree. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, Nancy sees the Demogorgon behind Barb in the picture. Oh, a little late. Yeah, and also, okay. I mean, I, this is the one thing I got to kind of throw the challenge flag on is uh, if he if he took the picture, he would have seen the the monster behind them, right? Well, I think he was works. focusing more. I think he was f- <laughs> focusing more on Nancy. Yeah, and other stuff that might be uh, going on. I, I will, and this might tie into another point, a highlight that we'll bring up later. I do like the uh, that the eventuality of like the Nancy Jonathan. I wouldn't say romance, but the pairing is good, just because I, I do feel like it's a little bit of like a freaks and geeks thing. Yeah, where uh, like uh, you know Linda Cardinelli's character, I forget her name right now, where like she was sort of connected to this sort of outcast gang. But then we start finding that like she has more in common with them than she initially thought maybe. And I feel like that's the case here too, where you're, you're kind of dealing with the school burnout, the school weirdo in a way, but it seems like now they sort of have a common goal and it seems like they're sort of getting along. Cause they, again, they have that common goal. Yeah, I would agree. I, I the, the, the pairing there, it, it works in that, in that sense, the, the outcast, the, the well, and again, she I think she can kind of play both sides because up until you know having a couple makeout sessions uh, with Steve, she was kind of a, the nerdy, you know, person. Yeah, 
So that's that's why her and Barb were friends in the first place. Exactly. exactly. Not to be rude, but that's let's. What's, how is that let's rude? Call, well, I'm just saying. Let's you know. I, I'm calling Barb a nerd, and I feel bad. But it's okay. Nerds she, are cool now, right? We we are the cool people. But now. but 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 not in the '80s. Not we in weren't. the '80s, but now it's cool because we're <laughs> we are in our you know primacy, if you will. I don't know. That's what we keep. That's what we keep telling ourselves. And as long as we believe, <laughs> as long as we believe it, that's all that matters. Um, so they want to use uh, the D&D crew wants to use the ham radio to try and uh, connect with Will. So Eleven gets a makeover, um, uh, a really sweet scene, um, and again one of those kind of iconic um, looks from this this eight episode uh, run. Like her, you know, getting to have the little wig on and then having the dress. Um, but anywho, yeah, Eleven gets a makeover. Yeah, this was a. Uh... Again, I I feel like the show, especially these past couple of episodes, is really pushing the Mike Eleven pairing. I, I don't know if I'm still a fan <laughs> of it. Uh, we get the, this moment here where you know she he awkwardly puts makeup on her, and then you get that like total goofball moment of like she looks pretty good, and like it's like oh, oh oh no, what's going on? What am I feeling? I I mean I again I I hope this show isn't that. Uh, that stereotypical. Uh, it seems like they really do like to sort of set up stereotypes and break them from the 80s conventions. I really hope that Mike doesn't end up, I don't know, getting in some sort of weird schoolyard relationship with Eleven. It would be weird on so many levels, but I don't, I don't want that. I want them all working together as friends, personally. I, I, it's kind of fun in the puppy love kind of thing, though. Um, I, don't, I don't mind it as much, but to your point... Um, they t- they tend to kind of try to break the AD stereotype a little bit, so um, we'll just have to see how that one plays out. Anyone uh, notice when when Mike was riding the bike and he has Eleven on the back seat, uh, and and he really looked like he was struggling to ride the bike. I mean, the boy does not look extremely muscular, you know. <laughs> even though he's able to intimidate one of the mouth breathers at the uh, the big assembly. I, I, I don't think he uh, can really swing something heavy without falling well, over. I, I'm just wondering how many takes that, you know, maybe it was like take 11, take 12, and he's like, oh my god, I'm dying here. Stop eating the waffles. Uh, I me. really hope... I, I, <laughs> I don't know if this would throw off the continuity of the show. I really hope every take on Stranger Things is take 11, just just for fun. <laughs> well, speaking of 11 and Mike, like, what would be their uh, power couple name? Would it be Malevin? <laughs> I, I guess you have to go with that, right? Alike is the other option. I guess Alike. we'll go with Malevin. Why don't we just call Mike and Eleven? Because that's not as fun. No, Jack. Every popular couple needs a portmanteau exactly. in this day and age. I, yep. I guess. I I'm just thinking the you 80s where we you, just, I mean, <laughs> this is my name, this is your name. Oh, man. Um, uh, who started that? Who who was the first? Was it was, Lost it was, or was uh, it? Brangelina? No. Uh, no. Uh, Benefer? Yeah, it might have been. No. Be- Benefer, yeah. I think like the early 2000s when you had like the Benefer and you had uh, the, the Brangelina. Because before that, even like, I remember like Tom Cruise and Nicole Kinman, they were just saying, as Jack said, like Tom and Nicole. People weren't yeah. really combining two names, so I guess it's sort of a trend of the early 2000s. I don't know. Yeah. Pipe it's in, a- listeners, if you think there's a <laughs> there's an earlier point in celebrity culture time. Yeah, I exactly. Just, let's let's go back to the way it was. I mean, I just I, I I hate it. But anyway, Jack representing the old man demographic. I Jack I think that I think most people would agree with me. <laughs> um. Anywho, next up here, Will talks to his mother through a wall. 
uh, while uh, Eleven and the D&D crew hears it through the ham radio. Um, could she not? She, could she not get him out? Could she not have taken the axe and? Because well, I think it's uh, if we're talking about they're in two different dimensions, so to speak. Like, they're still on two sides of it. Uh, I know, but, but he's right. He's right there. You can see I know, him. I know, but... and that's what that's what makes the scene so powerful. Like if you think about it as like uh, a mother or a father to your child, and they're right on the other side, and you you're right there, but you can't get to them. Um, what a what an emotional scene and. You know, for it's also that kind of revelatory scene for Joyce, who is told that there's this body here, but she hadn't heard anything from Will to this point. But she, now she's seen him. Um, really when powerful said, scene. When she said, "Hold on, Will, let me get the light bulbs." That's the that's what got me. That's what got me. <laughs> let me just hop over to the general store, get some more <laughs> store credit. Because <laughs> I don't understand what you're saying. I need the light bulbs. I need. I'm sorry. I know it was. It was just like I go rip the wall out, get it well, out. She, she did him. just just a few seconds too late. It <laughs> yeah, I know. I just I was like, oh. but of course. Anyway, I do. We talk about the opening scene where Hopper tells her after she, they find out he she that they found Will's body. Just sleep, and we'll 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 go check on we'll go check on uh, tomorrow. What parents gonna be able to sleep if their child has been found dead? Yeah, this is a weird. That was a weird scene between Hopper and Joyce, and I think the music itself. I think the, the lyrics were saying like "Don't walk away" as he was literally walking away from Joyce. So, <laughs> Ho- Hopper has some good qualities, and he has some bad ones. The fact that he assumingly went off to just go like sleep with some floozy, uh, and then decide to wake up and solve the case might might be a, a a bad side that leads to the eventual good of this man. Well, yeah, I think it's it is a balance, right? Because in the first scene we ever see with him. He's drinking like day old beer uh, in the shower or whatever, like it's and while he's smoking and popping pills, so and brushing his teeth. It's just a good, it's a good flavor combination. Um, well, he, I think he's still hurting. He's still, well, to be fair, he's still hurting from the loss of his daughter. Of course, of course. Not not, not trying to take anything away from him. I it, it just sound, it sounded like you were. No, I, no, 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 no I wasn't. He's dr- um, he's drinking day old beer. <laughs> Anyway, um, uh, Jonathan realizes his mother isn't crazy uh, once they put two and two together that uh, what Nancy saw is what uh, Joyce saw. So, yeah, I I like this because I feel like, again, we still sort of even though we're seeing some more cross pollination, I feel like we still have these sort of three age groups of the kids the teenagers and the adults. And I feel Mm -hmm. like in this episode, there really was a common theme across all three groups of I know this, but nobody is listening to me. Yeah. Between, you know, Joyce and the dummy, and then you have, you know, Eleven being insistent that Will's not dead and the kids initially not believing her. Here you have, you know, Nancy saying that something came for Barb and the other teenagers not believing her until she meets with Jonathan. So I thought there was some fun connective tissue between the groups. And I talked about this at the end of the previous podcast, but that just makes me more hopeful that, like, maybe one day... You know, we'll have Mike and his crew interact with Hopper maybe one day, just because it seems like now we're seeing some common threads between everybody. Yeah, like what's what's the day when the Avengers assemble and they all go and fight off the the bad guy together, kind of thing. Yeah, ex- exactly. Um, no, it's it's a, that's a good point. It's a good call out. Um, and kind of the closing out this episode, uh, really uh, other big moments is is Hopper uh, finding out the body is fake, but through uh, up to that point. Um, doing some pretty, uh, you know, uh, a Dirty Harry-esque uh, detective uh, work um, and some good schmoozing 
uh, along the way. So uh, Hopper is a man of many talents. I, I like the scene where he's got the knife out and he's he's hesitating cutting into uh, the body. He doesn't he didn't get the knife out and just cut it open like this. He's like he's, 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 he's probably like, like, he's, like, like okay if this is a bot like if it's actual body then I, I, I'm gonna obviously. I'm gonna freak out I'm I'm gonna be the biggest jerk alive. But he's like and he kept looking kept looking and then when he finally started cutting it and found out it was just rubber and stuff with cotton. I, I thought it was a great scene. I, I'm glad they did filmed it that way, without him just gutting into the, you know, the body. So my question is, you know, as Jay alluded to, we see Hopper in this episode in particular between what he does to, you know, the cop off duty, and then him breaking into the morgue and yeah. just beating up the guy, which was funny. I liked, you know, him trying to lie his way through it, and then him being yeah. like, "All right, fine," and then just kicks his ass, but. <laughs> Do, do we think that, like, as you said before, this guy used to be a city cop. Do we think he's done this in the past? Or do you think he's really sort of pushed to his breaking point because of his, like, personal connections to the case that I feel like he feels like he needs to do anything to get his hands on this information? I think it's a bit of both because you can't really, like, he's he's pretty smooth with it. Like, his, his you know, his uh, conversational skills, stuff like that, like how... Uh, with the the small town cop that found the body, how he just started out and just trying to fish out the information, but then she was like, "F it, just tell me the damn information." And then the same thing with the guard. They're like, "Oh, that's a Steve. it was Cujo, right?" Uh, I'm trying to remember the book or Christine. It was a Stephen King book, so a nice little call out there to one of the inspirations for the show. Um, you know, try to start a conversation and realize it's going nowhere. It's like, yeah, "I'm just going to knock you out and then go inside." So like, there is. That's a that's a skill to kind of have um, that persuasiveness and stuff like that. So I think it's a combo. I think it's a bit of both. I think it's I'm, what's driving him as a person, but also he's he, maybe he's used some of these talents and skills as a big city cop. I, I never thought about that till you brought it up, Mike. But I, I think it could be a little bit of both. But I think it's more like when he's punching the guy and he's he you know he knocks the guy the the guard out. I think it's more of I couldn't protect my daughter. I need to I need to find this kid alive. Yeah, I think I, I think I think I think it's I think it's more of that than he's done he's done you know he, as a big city cop he might have done stuff like this but I think it's more that he's he's he feels like at this point he's invested he has to protect this kid he needs to find mm-hmm. him alive and I think that's why he's not putting up with any crap. Yeah, I mean I think the one one of the things that I really like about this character is the fact that he does have stakes. He has some sort of weird secondhand personal investment into this because of his history. And as a result, he sort of is breaking bad in a way. And that I feel like he's doing some unorthodox things, especially for such a small town. And it's so interesting in counterplay with uh, the Hawkins Laboratory, because I feel like Hawkins Laboratory is an institution that, you know, if it was being run by maybe one of his deputies, the police department, they would totally get away scot-free under the radar. But Hopper's starting to come on to them. They, they didn't realize that they'd be working with a, with a police officer who deals with things, things in such unconventional means that maybe they have to change up their tactics a little bit to try to shake him, especially considering how we leave things at the end of the episode with Hopper literally breaking into the institution in the off hours. Plus, I don't think at this point Hopper cares. If he loses his job or not, he, he's he's on a mission and he's going to do whatever it takes to solve the case. Well, I don't think he cares if he lives or dies because uh, I remember the first time I saw, it, I was like, "Dude, he's he's going to die. He's breaking into the place." Like we saw, he, they killed uh, the the cafe owner or the little diner owner for nothing. Bernie. Um, and uh, man, he's what is he doing? So I uh, we'll have to see how well, that plays well, out. He, but but he, you have someone who's definitely hurting. I mean, he, he lost his child. I mean, it just, yep. and so I, I think that, you know, I just, I, I just, like you said, he's a great character and I just, I 
don't want to go anymore because I don't want to spoil anyone. So I'll just be <laughs> quiet. Um, all right. Any final thoughts for these two chapters? Uh, we didn't really talk about Hawkins in terms of the second episode uh, in this block. What did you guys think about the sort of like abyss-esque storyline where uh, we see once again this weird sort of, I don't, I don't know if it's a portal or just some some weird little void going on. They send somebody in and it's clear that there's something on the other side. I don't know if this is the Demogorgon or if it's something else uh, or another Demogorgon, but it's clear that the, there's something on the other side of that wall in the middle Pull of the back. laboratory. Pull them back. Uh, it's just a lump of meat coming back. Sorry. <laughs> Um, I mean, it's it's it it very much seems like because what we've seen uh, with Barb um, and now kind of when they go down this level that kind of uh, you pointed out, Mike, the uh, not ashes but just weird little sediment kind of just floating in the air. Um, it seems like this is the portal to the other side. Um, what is there, we don't know. Um, but yeah, I, I think uh, it's interesting. I think it's. Uh, it's another storyline that we're following, uh, following Dr. Brenner, uh, trying to, we assume, I guess, trying to figure out what's going on. Um, and you know, hopefully that we, that will be expanded upon, uh, the next episodes. Because the big question is, you know, is this sort of like, I don't know, were they working on this portal to another dimension and now they can't control it. And so they use this program to build kids like 11 who, uh, are sort of meant to serve as going to like an example from heroes uh, is to serve as like the Haitian to the superheroes, someone who can block off the portal and anything from getting through. And with 11 missing, now something's be- breaking through and able to, you know, come in and take children. Maybe there's something in that, this idea of why have this portal and also have a program where you're kidnapping children and trying to do mind control experiments on them. They have to be connected in some way, shape, or form. Yep. Agreed. Agreed. And and uh, maybe through more flashbacks, we will find that out as the story progresses. We will just have to wait and see. Um, any other thoughts? I mean, I can't believe we're already halfway through this season. Right? I, it's, it's definitely, it's clipped throughout a pace. And I feel like they've been feeding out information to make things really exciting. Like I said, I think the thing that I'm personally really waiting for is that one moment where all of our major characters realize the true evil that they're dealing with and decide to band together in whatever way they can to fight against it. I'm so excited for that eventuality, but I'm really excited to see sort of the, the road that we take to get there. Yep, exactly. And to your point, so this is uh, end of chapter four. Uh, next episode, we're going to be doing five and six. And then after that, seven, eight, closing out this season of Stranger Things. So we're already at the halfway point, already going downhill um, to the conclusion of this season. Uh, and it's, again, uh, it's what I love about – one of the many things that I love about this show uh, is how, how quickly you get there. The uh, the bad part is is that it, once it ends, uh, it ends a lot quicker, and you're like, oh, but I want more. Um, but we will uh, enjoy the ride while we still have it with season one. Luckily, with this rewatch and podcast, we're going right into season two, uh, so uh, it won't be as long of a wait. But at the end of is, season two, it, then it'll be a really long wait. Is season two only eight episodes again? I believe so. I believe it's eight episodes. So Okay. But I think they're keeping with the chapters. I, I'm not sure. Let's see. We'll have to see. Um, all right. That, I think, will do it for this episode of Stranger Things with Jay, Jack, and Mike. Give us a call at 385-309-0311. 
Holiday time. Once again, it's 385-309-0311. Call anytime with questions, comments, and or theories. Or theories. Email us at strangerthingsjjm at gmail.com. Once again, strangerthingsjjm at gmail.com. Join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash J and Jack group where we have fun discussions as well as you can comment on uh, this podcast uh, as Colleen did um, being really upset at Mike. So, um, Mike, stand your ground. All right, I got your back. I won't let yeah. her. No, I'm, I'm glad that the, the actual podcasters here were, were a unified front. Uh, maybe not in terms of <laughs> etiquette when approaching a grieving woman screaming at her son on the street, but at least when it comes to Barb. Um, uh, I think we're 100%. Yeah, we're 100% in agreement on Barb, so I think that's that's a good thing. Uh, this show is made possible by you, the listener, uh, through our Patreon page. Become a patron today. Go to janejack.com. Click on the Become a Patron link. I want to especially thank Tack from Tokyo, Eckhart Richter, Molly the Millennial, and Ed the Letter Carrier. Thank you so much, and thank you to all of our patrons. The list of every single one of them on our website at janejack.com, as well as links to all of our other podcasts out there, Dancing with the Stars. Um, what else? Stranger Things. It's this one. Survivor with uh, Jay Jack and Colleen. Mike, thank you for filling in for me, getting me a point last week in the tally game. Uh, major Happy to help. there. Um, also, uh, Married Man Show. I'm sorry, Married Man Show. Ramblecast, Ramblecast and the broadcast, as well as a, a special episode of Owen and Baru's Barbecue, our Star Wars podcast, uh, recapping and discussing the new trailer, the final trailer for the Last Jedi that dropped during Monday Night Football this past week. Uh, Mike, you do a lot of things in the podcast world. Where can people find all that goodness, including some awesome coverage for this season of Survivor? So you can find all the stuff that I plug on Twitter, generally at a Mike Bloom type. Getting a little more specific, I'll remain in the scripted coverage for now. I do uh, weekly recaps of SNL after every episode on post-show recaps. We recap the first two episodes. We're really excited for the uh, Kumail Nanjani episode. Spoiler alert, we weren't t- such big fans of the first two episodes, but we're excited for what's to come. Hopefully we're not disappointed in that regard. But as yeah, the Gal Gadot to- one was kind of mad. I felt like they kind of didn't, didn't use her well. It's always tough. I don't want to go on too much of a tangent, but it's always tough with a first-time host because they're trying to get a feel for this live comedy aspect, especially if there's someone like Gal who does not necessarily have experience in that. And so you find them sort of playing a lot of uh, more stereotypical characters, more straight men in the straight men, crazy Mm -hmm. man scenario of a comedy scene. Compare that to someone like Ryan Gosling, who hosted his second time, and you found him playing much more of the weirdos, the crazy people. So I think Gal did a good job, especially considering that uh, English is not her first language, and that makes it extremely tough, especially reading cue cards. But in terms of the material itself, I thought there were some highlights, but nothing spectacular. But my my hopes are sufficiently raised for what's to come. As Jay said, uh, I'm big into the Survivor scene, especially this season. I write exit interviews with Parade Magazine for the most recently voted off contestant. I did that uh, today with the person who I ended up helping uh, Jay get a point on on Survivor <laughs> with Jay, Jack, and Colleen. I also do a weekly Survivor co- podcast called RHAP B&B on reality TV Rehap Ups, where we just we shoot the shit. We do a bunch of uh, fun and games around the, the week's episode of Survivor. Myself, Liana Boris, and one other member of the RHAP community. That's been a lot of fun. And I also did, uh, Liana and I also wrapped up. There's a an Australian Survivor. I don't know if you guys know about this. There's an Australian I've, version I've, of Survivor. I've heard about it. And this had, in my opinion, an extremely good season. One of the best seasons I've seen 
in years. And so they recently had their big wrap-up after 26 episodes. Myself and Liana broke it down over wow. three hours of analysis as to the season and the finale. We had so much fun. Check that out on reality TV wrap-ups how, as well. How do you watch the Australian Survivor? Uh, we then maybe not necessarily through the most legal means. Uh, we have we have some international okay. friends out there who are lucky enough to possibly put copies of the episode up on the internet for us to peruse. If you're interested, oh. I could definitely uh, send stuff your way. But it's it's been fantastic. I highly recommend if people are somehow able to find the time for 26 episodes of Survivor in their recent life. Seek it out, please. It's fantastic. Yeah, Mike's like, I know a guy. He uh, might be able to get you uh, what you need. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. All right, well, that will do it for this episode of Stranger Things. Next week, we will be uh, discussing Chapter 5 and Chapter 6. Excited to do so. And then after that, Chapter 7 and 8, and then going into Season 2 of Stranger Things. Until then, hasta luego, and goodbye. Bye. Bye.